Hey folks, welcome into Aunt Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. Going to talk some Cubs today. The Cubs, the champions of the 2022 NL East. That is how it works now. If you if you sweep the division leader in their house in September when they are desperately clinging to what I believe is now maybe a half game lead uh, on the on the Braves, like you get the crown. That's it. Cubs are in. Cubs take the division. They're in the postseason. No, um, I kid. But I mean, Sahadev is no doubt at his favorite Sabaros in New York, just popping champagne it's, as we speak. That's why he can't yes, join us. He's at his favorite uh, for recording. Uh, where he says routinely, I hear him talk about how much better New York pizza is than Chicago pizza. Uh, he, boy, he never misses an opportunity to tell me uh, about that specifically, Sahadev. You can find him at The Athletic or on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Uh, Okay, so Cubs sweep the Mets. Um, You know, we've talked about taking the the lens the widest we can. We've talked about this conceptually about how Cubs are out of the race, long out of the race, been out of the race, but demonstrating in the second half the ability to be competitive, growth from certain players, um a sense that what they're trying to do at the big league level is working. Um, Put a pin in that, actually. Actually, no, I'm going to mention that right now. It's not something I've had a chance to write about, and, you know, you aren't prepped for this, so you can comment or not comment, Mooney. But, um, you know, I've been thinking about how, do you remember in the offseason, so the Cubs, they made sort of complimentary transactions, a couple big ones in Suzuki and Stroman. But one of the big talking points was, okay, post-pandemic, everything is normal again. Oh, wait, lockout kind of messed things up. They were trying to uh, match some of what the Giants had done the year before in terms of like the way they were using platoon strategies, the way they were um, using their coaches to communicate with players and these sort of like soft factors that we didn't necessarily have a perfect sense of but that you felt like might show up in the form of the whole uh being more than the sum of the parts you know we've talked about that before that the cubs were the reverse of that throughout their competitive window it felt like and the giants of course being the most extreme example last year of how in the world are they getting these performances out of these guys and winning these games and I do wonder, there's so much noise because the Cubs from a, had a talent deficit this year, but like, are we going to be able to evaluate that stuff um, in the offseason from this year? Is there going to be too much noise or is that a factor kind of in, I don't know, are we seeing something good here in the second half, not in terms of the players specifically, but just in terms of how the Cubs translate performance to wins? Well, I guess we'll see if they fire any coaches, oh, right? I mean, yeah, that's usually the point. tell of, uh, you know, and I'm not sensing that per se because it is a relatively new group and Dave Ross has been pretty complimentary. But we know historically the Cubs like to scapegoat coaches and saying, we're not scapegoating anybody, but Chili Davis isn't coming back next year. You know, like well, stuff like the that. the Cubs had to get there. Um, or if other teams hire them, right? Like, yeah. you know, like Mailey. when there's this next round of cycling, our certain cub staffers going to be pulled into you know bigger jobs uh, on different teams i think that's the tell if people other teams believe yeah the concern is that the cubs are just one punch away on their punch card from getting a free hitting coach if you know you you fire 12 you get the free hitting coach and they just they need that last punch um 
<laughs> so yeah, good good point. That's a good one. I hadn't heard that one I before. Just, dude, that's I just good. I busted that out. That's live. That's, that's there's good. no. You should you should use that uh, use it on the site too. Yeah, I should you before it's it's poached. Uh, no, I um I do think that uh, you're right that there will we'll get a sense of how the Cubs are feeling about the coaching staff and its work with the players just based on whether there's a ton of turnover again or not. Um, okay, so narrowing the scope a little bit to this series against the Mets, um, I think it's wholly appropriate for fans to celebrate any sweep against a good team right now just because it's it's a long season and it's nice to get stuff to enjoy. So it's like, I mean, I was just happy to enjoy it from that perspective. And I think also it, it was, I just think it was meaningful to see Uh, a Cubs team that it doesn't have Wilson Contreras available right now, doesn't have Nico Horner available right now, uh, is missing some of their key starting pitchers. And, you know, Marcus Stroman didn't pitch in this series and, and they were still able to be not only competitive in these games, but obviously win all three of them. That was just, that's nice to see. That's heartening as you do think ahead to an off season where we feel like the Cubs should make significant additions. It's like this series doesn't, confirm that plan but it certainly doesn't hurt to be like hey you know they can beat good teams uh and if you want them to do it consistently they just need more talent um so i I dug that aspect of it and then we'll we'll talk about some of the schadenfreude part of it in a moment but then anything from the series that stood out to you is just either within the context of this conversation or even just individual player stuff that that was nice and notable or not the thing is, though, like they could just as easily be swept this weekend against the Rockies. And that's, I think, the thing that's frustrating or the reality check for this team as you move forward. It's like every game is a dogfight with this team. Like it's never like, oh, you know, the sense around the team is like, oh, we're going to roll into Pittsburgh and we got this, you know, ace starter who's just going to shut it down and change the complexion of the entire road trip. It's like, no, it's like every day. They're almost kind of like starting from scratch. It's just like okay, how how are they going to like piece together? You know, hopefully the starting pitcher pitches into the fifth inning, and you know maybe he sneaks uh, an extra out like the third time through the order. And it's like who's available in the bullpen and who's not like so far beyond his previous innings uh, limit. And you know the offense comes and goes. And I thought. Sadev had a good story of his, you know, Sadev's seal of approval, like building blocks for next year. And it's three guys. And I don't think Sadev just pulled that um, out of thin air. I mean, you have Seiya, Nico, and Justin Steele. And that's kind of it in terms of guys you can count on for next year and think could be around for the next good Cubs team. And obviously that takes out Marcus Stroman's player option, um, is one factor, is Kyle Hendricks healthy or not? Brandon Hughes looks great, but relievers are kind of unpredictable. And I think that's kind of how the front office has to look at it. It's like, okay, there's three guys. Uh, Wilson's a free agent. Hap is almost a free agent. And there is uh, just a ton of work to do. Yeah, you, you would hope uh, that there isn't an overconfidence in – some of the guys who have become nice and complimentary this year as being like key cogs next year. That doesn't mean that, that the guys who went unmentioned in that discussion there are not 
uh, potentially really important for next year. It's just that you can't necessarily craft your offseason around the idea that they will be significant contributors. And you, you also hope that the Cubs feel like they have developed a system for helping get those complementary players over the hump and into a position where they can contribute at the big league level. Because that's, you know, while that isn't the difference between a 75-win team and an 85-win team, it can be the difference between an 85-win team and an 88-win team. You know, like that that can be the ability to get yourself into playoff position when you have that core of talent that's like enough to be competitive, but then throughout the year needs develop and you know guys underperform guys get hurt things change and you just you need that ability to backfill and sort of have guys either take on roles from the bench into a starting job or come up from AAA and contribute and um, that's where you hope like you said this this mixing and matching that the Cubs are doing constantly right now you almost hope it helps create an organizational skill at it because even with a good team you're going to need to do a lot of that over 162 games um all right let's let's talk a little bit about the Mets uh this is not a Mets podcast and from my devilish laughter it will become clear that it's you know I'm not transitioning into a positive talk about the Mets so I have long had an antipathy for the Mets and uh I think it it stemmed from a variety of things I was not around in, in 69. So I, I don't have that predicate for it, but I think I, I was not a fan of, of their longtime ownership before Steve Cohen. I think I felt like they didn't do a lot of things the right way. And so that kind of created a layer, uh, that, that I was predisposed to not liking them. And then you had 2015 where they beat the Cubs in the NLCS. I did not like that. You had uh, back in 2004, with the Victor Diaz home run off of Latroy Hawkins that ended that 2004 season effectively. That always stuck in my craw. Uh, and then more recently, you had, among other things, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this year. And uh, what I mean is, going into the trade deadline, there, there were two things happening. One, the Mets had this loaded roster that had a huge lead in the East, and it felt like an opportunity for them to properly uh, service their fans and service their own ability to contend by making significant additions at the trade deadline. Because for all their success, they had some obvious holes. It was not as though they did not have some spots that they obviously had needs. Um, and as we know, there were a lot of rumored talks with the Cubs in in that, that it had something come together. Uh, perhaps it would have benefited both organizations. Well, that didn't happen. And we, you know, different sides may have different stories and why nothing came together. I mean, one thing that was widely reported was that the, the Mets had become a little gun shy, whether in general or dealing with the Cubs specifically because of Pete Crow Armstrong's tremendous breakout this year. He, of course, acquired for Javi Baez from the Cubs last year at the deadline. And I frankly developed a, a lot of bitterness coming out of the deadline for the Mets being cowards about that. And even more than the bitterness, it was the desire <laughs> to see them fail thereafter, specifically because they failed to to make serious additions, whether from the Cubs or otherwise. It was just, you're in a team that's a in a position to do this, and you're seriously only going to make like sort of like minor complementary additions. Uh, I found that to be really gutless. And so... <laughs> 
watching the Cubs beat them in this series when it already feels like they're spiraling. Oh my God, it was delicious. I mean, it was just, I was over the moon with these wins specifically. And uh, I'm curious your thoughts about, uh, you know, what the Mets decided not to do in relationship to now them having given up almost all of the ground in the NL East and, you know, how that relates to just teams in general when it comes to competing. Well, I was really looking forward to Billy Epler and Steve Cohen coming out to the Timmy Trumpets for not sacrificing like one percentage point in the aggregate over their four to five year competitive window that's, ahead. That's what he or, said, what, isn't it? That is what he said. It was this <laughs> absurd uh, dealing of, you know, it was unreasonable. And I totally get that Jed was more than likely totally unreasonable in this. Like, I'm not saying that the Cubs had... Um, you know, this great deal-making skill because not trading Wilson Contreras was a total whiff. It was not the plan. However, I mean, when you have, you know, two Hall of Fame-type pitchers, a, you know, kind of a borderline Hall of Fame manager and Buck Showalter who's, you know, pushing all these right buttons, when you have what, for all the dysfunction around the Mets over the years, they've done a pretty good job of drafting and developing when you look at you know Brendan Nimmo's from like Wyoming and Pete Alonzo was not this obvious you know uh superstar slugging first baseman like they've I mean Jacob deGrom was a shortstop in college like they've done a lot right in that regard and the moment requires um Theo Epstein's if not now when uh approach to things and We've talked a lot about where the Cubs went wrong after 2016. We've analyzed lots of these trades, but you know, you got to give Theo credit for just going for it and that gunslinger mentality that he had for as much uh, as he was this New England Ivy League uh, type. You know, he came up working alongside Bruce Bochy and Kevin Towers and had an immense respect for the effort the coaches and the players were putting in in the clubhouse. And he you know, wanted to be able to look those guys in the eyes and be like, look, we did our best. You guys go out and win this. And, you know, for as much credit as Rick Hahn took after that Jose Quintana trade and, you know, how for years the White Sox were lauded for their, you know, farm system rankings and their club-friendly extensions, it's like, well – They've won, what, like two playoff games in like 10 years? I'm trying – it's something like that. I mean, what – look at where they are now. And sometimes you have to meet the moment. And, you know, we're also prisoners of the moment here recording uh, You know, at this particular juncture. The Mets could turn around. They got awesome talent. But it is kind of interesting to see after uh, a lot of us were – encouraged by what the Mets did in the offseason and showing that, hey, you know, this is what happens when you spend money on established major league talent and go for it, that you can kind of it's not a either or type proposition the way that the Cubs have tried to make it out to be of well, we're focusing on our farm system so our major league team can't be as good. Like, no, the Mets were going all in seemingly until they were texting and talking with Jed Hoyer and for them to not pivot with another big bat and to not supplement what's one of the most important positions in the game at catcher 
uh, it's kind of mind blowing. And I think the Mets are you know, probably feeling some heat uh, right now in New York. What heat in New York from the fans and media there? Get out of here. I, um, you know, what it made me think about, and I, I had forgotten about Billy Epler's description of like why they didn't want to go whole hog at the deadline because like you said it was sort of like preserve um you know (laughs) it was like preserve like a one percent better chance spread over four years as opposed to like a yeah this is this is the quote that came up on google of like yeah if you're subtracting a percent or a percentage and a half aggregate over a four or five year period to move up one percent now i don't think that's how sustainability is built and now that's also, you know, he works for uh, an owner. And obviously that, you know, Steve Cohen wants to be like the Dodgers. I mean, who doesn't? But it's also kind of surprising someone who was wound up with this GM job after a very long, uh, fruitless search. And there has been rumors about, you know, the Mets wanting David Stearns, a New York native who runs the Brewers now, like... You'd think this would be the time. Everybody's like, "Hey, like, let's <laughs> let's go for it, right? You know, like, let's deal with tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, if you're on this kind of not a one year contract or like a, a tryout basis, but certainly he did not walk in there the way that Theo Epstein would have if if he was interested in the job. What it made me think of was, and Cubs fans, I apologize for reminding you of this, but and I forget if it was the um, 2007. NLDS or the 2008 NLDS, but, uh, you know, Cubs were there in the short series. Uh, Carlos Zambrano was starting, I think, game one and was pulled pretty early, very early in it, in a tight game that it looked like the Cubs were going to win. Um, and I, or, or maybe it was that they were a little bit behind. And, and the, the explanation offered after was, well, we wanted to make sure he'd be available for game four. And, we all, of course, thought at the time, and the media hammered this point. Well, what if there isn't a game four? You know, like what? What are you doing? Um, you can't play for game four if there isn't one. And of course, as we know, there wasn't in either of those series, whichever it was. It, it, it played out that way. Uh, there was no game four, and it just it, that mentality. I think is what I felt I got from the Mets' approach to the trade deadline, which was it's nice to say. It makes for a nice quote to say, we're not playing for one championship. We're playing for four or five. It, it the base, the nature of baseball is that you have so much randomness baked in that you cannot guarantee that you're going to be even in a position to try to win another one the next season, let alone multiple in a row, let alone multiple deep runs in the postseason. Um, you just can't count on that. So I agree with you that I have nothing but good feelings about in general about the trade approach that the cubs took in uh 16 and 17 in particular um and even trading jorge soler for wade davis in the offseason uh before 17 that they knew they had this chance they had a core that was like definitely competitive so don't leave anything don't leave as uh leave as little to chance as you can because there's so much chance already in baseball it's like let's try to strip away as much of that as we can and i respected that and of course we hate in hindsight the outcome of the jose quintana trade for example and and maybe there are arguments to be made that while that was an appropriate time to be aggressive that wasn't the right move i mean 
Okay, you can make that argument. I, I would entertain that. But I don't think you can make the argument that it was foolish for the Cubs to, at that time, seek out an impact starting pitcher. They needed one. And if that means you pay a heavy price in prospects, you do it. Because these windows, they don't last forever. And the problem, of course, was that the Cubs didn't have waves and waves of talent coming up behind these guys. That's a whole separate issue. That's not a reason not to make those trades or be gun-shy like the Mets. That's a reason to make sure you have a productive uh, scouting and player development operation that keeps bringing players up. It's not like the Dodgers don't make trades. It's not like the Dodgers don't acquire guys. I mean, they traded for, what, you Darvish at one deadline and Manny Machado at one deadline, and they still have a top-five farm system. I mean, that's there are two, there are two entirely separate points. And so that was why I did feel... I just I was annoyed on behalf of baseball uh, and Mets fans that they they chickened out like that, especially when you've got a front of your rotation and Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer, which we know is so important in the postseason, but they're both older guys, uh, injury issues for deGrom, uh, aging issues for Max Scherzer. Like, how long is that going to last? And deGrom is a free agent after this season. So w- what are you doing not to match? Future, future Cubs, future Jacob, Cub, DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom. You think he wasn't watching the Cubs this week saying, oh, I want to be a part of that? He was. He was like, all right, you guys sold me. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I, I really don't get that mentality right now. For the, I don't get it in general, and I don't get it specifically for the Mets. And so it was, like I said, it was delectable to see the Cubs beat them and watch, you know, like uh, the Mets catching situation look like, uh, look disappointing in this series. And to see, um, you know, it, just to see it, work out so poorly for them and nice little cherry on top you know who did play really well for the Mets in the series Trevor Williams you know how the Mets got Trevor Williams by actually stepping up and making a trade last year with the Cubs uh I I just I dug all of that and um that was it's it's I mean it's nice to have an off day today here on Thursday because I can just continue to bask in that glow for another day before like you said things might just go (laughs) terribly wrong again this this weekend Yeah, I think it's important. That was a good call on the Dodgers trades too. Like they haven't really been burned by any of those guys they've given up. I mean, I mean separately from the fact that they just keep winning, but I don't think any of those guys have turned out anywhere. And um, I think the Cubs will be facing some of those questions this offseason, right? I mean, this could be that time where maybe you sell high on some of these. Uh, guys in a ball and package some of these guys who are can't be put on the 40-man roster for whatever reason and to supplement uh, the major league roster if you feel like certain prices are too high in free agency or you don't like you know whatever player group is available this offseason like I think now would be a good time to start looking at that avenue that has been kind of closed off to the Cubs for a while now. Yeah, it's almost like the reverse U Darvish situation from a couple years ago. Now the Cubs want to be on the other end of that and maybe, you know, use some of the younger pieces uh, to bundle up and uh, acquire someone that another team might be looking to to save some money on or to um, move on from. all right. Because I don't think the Padres regret right. that deal at all in this moment. Exactly. Like that, obviously, things can change. You know, in 2026, maybe 
when we're when our holograms are podcasting with each other, it'll look a lot different. But like right now, the Padres are not uh, sweating that trade at all because you Darvish continues to be awesome. Yeah, and, and even uh, if, that's not a surprise. And it's not like the Padres have won anything. But it's like they. Yeah. they it's also really how much did they lose? Not that I'm saying the Cubs would regret the trade necessarily. That you know, I think there was obviously a significant financial component in that deal tied to a hopefully you know once in a lifetime uh pandemic and and uh, biblical losses but i think you know even if from here you know owen casey for example becomes a contributor in the big leagues i just i don't think the mentality is there for the padres and aj preller to be like boy we really screwed that up no they would look at it and be like well we had a core and we needed what we needed and so we we took the swing and they'll just keep backfilling their farm system and um They'll think the same way about Juan Soto, depending on what happens from there. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to the offseason in that regard because I think, you know, we will necessarily talk a lot about free agents because we expect the Cubs to be able to participate in most corners of free agency. But that those the, the bundling type trade, that's that's interesting to me. It's very interesting because it's not an area the Cubs have been able to work in for a long time. and But they built up, built up that depth so quickly that I think they might be – a, a particular organization that teams will look at for that kind of thing um all right as mooney said rockies this weekend for the cubs uh, i think chris bryant has really turned around his season i think he's actually been pretty great since the last time we would have had occasion to talk about him he started started out slow injured wasn't hitting for power but i do believe at last check he's got some pretty great numbers so cubs will get to see uh a you know it was i don't i don't i wish him nothing but well but it did make for the um discussions about like see the cubs were right for not extending so and so and so it made it made that a little bit smoother but uh good for him good for him play well i i got i got nothing but positive vibes and we uh hope you enjoy your weekend this is on to waveland it's the cubs podcast here at the athletic We'll be back at you on Monday. He's Patrick Mooney. Get his stuff at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. Get mine at Bleacher Nation. And we just appreciate you. Take care, all. Take care, all.